You're listening to the Dungeons, Dragons, and Psychology Podcast. <laughs> Great way to start. Great. Perfect. You're the, welcome. The timing I gave was like, you the countdown. I, I at see. that moment. I gave, <laughs> listeners, I gave her a countdown to start the show, and she coughed right on number one. I don't know what she's doing. Welcome to the Dungeons, Dragons, and Psychology podcast. I am your host, Robert Walker. With me today are two of my very best friends and members of my weekly gaming group, Dustin and Kimothy Archer. Uh, they just happen to have the same last name, it, probably because they're married. But you you oh, married us? Yeah. I, oh, that's right. Oh, yeah, that was a long And time that ago. wasn't even role-playing. That was real. But it was. That was real. Ooh. Sorry to tell you. I signed Ooh. the papers. It's official. Ooh. White dress and everything. It was real. <laughs> okay. It happened. My memory's a little fuzzy on the details. I mean, 14 years ago. What can you say? You know. Man, time flies, doesn't it? It oh, does. No question. I mean, we've been gaming together for 25 years. Mm-hmm. You guys have been married for 14. So, Kimothy has been a member of our group for 15, 15 years, years, probably. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, solidly the average now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Welcome to the middling area of our group, Kimothy. We're glad oh, you've made it. Okay. You're now a middle-aged gamer. So what we're going to be talking about today, other than their relationship and how it's uh, managed to last not quite as long as our gaming group, is we're going to be talking about making your stories canon. And what that means is there's a lot of worlds that are built out there that you can take from. Faerun, Galorian, Greyhawk. I mean, there's I couldn't even list how many there are because there are so many. Those are three of the biggest ones that are known. But what we're talking about when we say making your stories canon is when you start running a game in those worlds, making the things that your characters have done at your table now become a living part of that world's history rather than just sticking to the history that has been presented or printed by the company that created that world. Faerun is a great example for us. Because we started playing with Faerun at the end of Advanced Dungeons and Dragons and early on in the third edition world set of Faerun. So our Faerun now, after 25 years basically of being in that world, looks vastly different mm-hmm. than the Faerun that is published by Wizards of the Coast. It's not even close. Not at all. There are some similarities, but you go to almost any city and there's something built that's new and different. There's other areas that aren't there anymore. One and a very big example for our world is spell plague never happened in our world. We had characters who were there to stop that from happening when that sort of cataclysm cataclysm was taking place in Faerun. So in our world, that doesn't exist, which means that there's a big portion of gods that never died. We also have pantheons of characters that belonged to us that are now part of the Faerunian pantheon in our worlds. So this is what we're talking about when we're saying making your stories canon. You're taking a piece of a world that has already been written and you're making it your own. So I'm going to turn this over to you guys a little bit. What do you think this adds to a world or to a game when you incorporate your own histories into them? So it's interesting as a player that's come in a bit later than you guys, obviously, as we talked about earlier, I've been playing for about 15 years and jamming off and on because these two primarily do most of the jamming in our group. Um, But I 
have jammed a bit. And where I struggle with making canon or making stories canon, like what we're talking about today, is that I can never run a game in Faerun. Like there is absolutely <laughs> no way that I will ever be able to accomplish that. I mean, okay, sure. If we were to piecemeal the group and say, okay, I'm going to kit pick these three players that have never played in the fame room before or something like that. Okay. Then maybe I can do that. And that doesn't include Rob or Dustin, <laughs> but they're the two that would enjoy that game the most. So I can't do that. Um, also like, I'll just never know exactly like everything. So it's hard at the same time to suspend disbelief. Mm -hmm. And that's where Dustin and I struggle at times at the same table together. It's true. This conversation has come up a lot of times because to Rob's point, actually taking the time to having your character's impact in a particular setting become canon, become part of the world, I think is one of the biggest, most rewarding parts of gaming and taking a character from first level to 15th or 20th level or wherever it may be is being able to actually influence the world, actually change the way things are. Mm -hmm. So that's certainly the most fun. But I think the struggle is you bring a player in who wasn't part of when it became canon. And right. not only did they not expect it, but especially if they're trying to GM in that setting, they're like, wait, 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 what about this that's here? And they're like, what do you mean? I wasn't there for that. Mm -hmm. So we haven't in our group done a wonderful job, I don't think, in documenting that stuff as well as we really should have. Right. Yeah, I think you're right. I think the the biggest form of documentation that we have now is just in the form of DM notes that have been, you know, cobbled together and put in piles over the years mm -hmm. of uh, here's what happened in this game and here's what changes made. So you're right. It, it does make it difficult for a new player, one, to understand a world that they might understand from a different gaming group because they might have played in Faerun. Now, if they come to our table and sit at our table, they're playing in a very different Faerun than they might know and understand, especially if they didn't start playing until 5th edition D&D, which has an extremely different version of Faerun than the one that we use. Right, exactly. And I mean, even going a little further back, Spell Plague's a big deal. Mm -hmm. Mistra, completely gone from right. the entire Pantheon. But yet, when we play d d it she's even still like part of many pantheons right. that we play with uh, crossing boundaries of even the planes because of her influence from this original Faerunian. Well, and, and, and even more to that point is our mistress is a different mistress. It's a right. character that ascended, mm, you know, right. many mm -hmm. years uh, took gone and took on. on the mantle of Mistra the same way that midnight took on the mantle of Mistra. But yeah, so that is definitely a vast difference and it does make it hard for a GM and I, I would I would disagree with you a little bit, Kimothy, in your idea that you can't run a story and campaign. I would definitely maybe not run it in the Dale Lands because that's where I run most of right. my games. Sure. But there's I mean, Faerun's huge and there's so much um that we have not touched in that world. I mean, we've never run a game in the um in the Forbidden East or the um the Shining South or the Frozen North. Pretty much everything we have done has been in the heart. I, I would I don't even run games in Baldur's Gate, for example, because there's already so much that's out there in terms of the video games and stuff like that that I don't want to interfere with. So there is still a lot of opportunity. I guess I kind of feel what you're thinking because in, in Galorian, I struggle to run games because you guys know that setting way more than I do. Sure. So Dustin's it is kind the of the same. Yeah, it one. does. <laughs> well, I wanted to touch on that, actually. So I call it being a, a content expert. You really have to be a master of the content in order to run a game appropriately. And to Kimothy's point, and this is the part that I absolutely agree with you on the challenge of running in a system in a different setting is, OK, let's say, hypothetically speaking, you have 100 hours to go read every or more to read every book ever published on the Forgotten Realms. 
First of all, it's going to be more than 100 hours. Oh, way more. Secondly, to understand and internalize that information and be able to like have it at, ready to go so you could run especially a higher level game in that kind of a world would be very, very, very challenging. Then add on top of that, the players who played in that game and now having to incorporate all of their canon on top, it's a really a, a struggle. To be mm-hmm. honest, though, I think it's more of a struggle with our group, and that's because we have so many people, so many talented people in our group who can GM, who mm-hmm. can come to the table. If if And many gaming groups have one primary GM right. and who will run in the same setting. And it's much, much easier to continue the canon building. And when that same GM was the one doing it, whereas if another GM comes in, it's a lot more challenging. But the way we've kind of accomplished this, and I say accomplished very, very loosely, is just said, okay, only the content expert will run a game in that particular setting. Mm-hmm. I am the, the content expert for Glorian. Rob's the content expert for Faerun. Kimothy's the content expert for Ravenloft. So in those kind of worlds, we can actually let that person GM and they know the canon, both that's canon canon and the canon for what's happened in that setting with our group to be able to incorporate that. Right. Now, there is a time, though, that we have actually accomplished this very well in terms of canon and bringing it together and running a campaign in the same setting like that. And that's actually our second run of Rise of the Runlords in Galorian. So Dustin originally ran this campaign. We had, what, four, five, six of us together. This campaign took a year, over a year, Mm -hmm. to complete. And then we had some newcomers come in, and Rob decided to run it for us again. And Dustin was able to play this time around. And there was a chain fire mm-hmm. is how it is how it happened. And the big bad evil guy at the very end ended up coming back and being able to redo it all over again for this new band of heroes. Um, that was really good. But now every time we play in Galorian, it is always with a chain fire. Well, right. you just continued the story that I finished telling with the first Rise of the Rune Lords. You didn't say you didn't invalidate that. Right. You managed to create a time travel looping type of event that allowed the story to continue from the beginning again. Mm-hmm. But both of those realities happened in mm-hmm. our canon now. Right. And, and the reason that I did that is because making a story canon is so important to me. I didn't want to invalidate something that our group had already done because it was already a part of our canon. And yet we still wanted to run this other game. And I also wanted that to be part of our canon. So I had to come up with a, a unique way to to do both things, to both validate what existed before because we played it and it's part of our mythos and still play the same story again. Sure. It, it almost this is almost a trick of the trade, but share for the listeners how the chain fire event worked and how you did that. So chain fire is an idea that I actually um, borrowed from Terry Goodkin in his book Chain Fire, which in which in that book, basically everybody forgets his fiance other than himself. There's something that keeps him protected and the magic burns through the world and the entire world forgets that that ever took place Anything that she ever touched, anything that she ever was involved in is basically replaced in their memory, either with another person or the gap is filled in some other way. And they just never saw her as part of that memory. So I correlated that idea and turned it into more of a time travel type of a concept where the the uh, the bad guy worked all the way through the first series of heroes who came in and tried to stop him. And he had a contingency that if he was defeated, there was a great, powerful blast of epic magic that would reset time from when he was first awakened and then 
give him another opportunity with the knowledge like the hero in the uh, chain fire story had, he would be the only one in the world to keep the knowledge of everything that came before while everybody else's memories and time were reset to that original place. Which made it a lot of fun for me having GM'd that game before and having obviously when you, you know, when you're running an established adventure, you've read through all the material, you know, the reasons why and all the details, but because you had your own take, because you explained why we're going to deviate from the books, not because we're deviating, but because that story happened and the boss knows it happened right. and now he's going to do things differently. So that's going to throw you for a loop. It created a lot of uniqueness. You were able to keep some elements the same and change other elements at your whim to make it get fun for you to run that game but for me as a player i never knew is it going to be the same Mm -hmm. is it not i didn't even have to worry about metagaming because i could assume something would be the case and it would be wrong right well and we get to the very end of it and there's like the reveal of what the spell was and what the whole situation was so then there's this moment that the party and the and the players understand that hey our original story is still canon it Mm -hmm. still happened and i think that was a really important thing to have And that's the fascinating part as a player in both of those campaigns, because I adored my character in the original campaign. And I was actually a little heartbroken to have to kind of replay it all over again, because I was like, oh, hum-de-dum, I've already done this. But to then have it be completely different at the end and like, okay, that makes sense. And that also gave a lot of credence to her story in that beginning, too. It's, It's been a while since we did this, but didn't we have, wasn't it your original character's child? In the next campaign. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. So. Yeah. Yeah. And not not just that, but then we went on and and ran the sequel to that um, Shattered Star. Mm -hmm. Right. Which we were able to have characters because part of Shattered Star is all the characters have some connection to one of the characters in the first story. Mm -hmm. And but we were able to have them have connections to either set of characters that happened in the first story. So that actually continued that. I mean, that was a very, very specific example of a specifically a published adventure that had a sequel that you were able to tie back into the original characters. Right. But I mean, even aside from published adventures, this the, the premise of taking canon and taking the changes and then moving them forward can bring a lot of meaning into the campaign. Yes. Okay. So we've talked a little bit about um, what some of the big challenges are, and we've briefly mentioned some of the benefits of it. But what would you say, what would each of you say is probably the greatest thing about having canon that is unique to your group. And probably we, I think we kind of know what the hardest thing about it is, is playing in those worlds or DMing in those worlds. But what do you think is the greatest benefit of it? Having a character that goes into an area where you know something has changed and having the DM describe what your last character did there. And I still think of Lightus Greenfeathers, you know, this mm. crazy tower that he had in the Dale Lands and, and Faerun. And yeah. whenever we play a campaign there and then we go there, that's described. And I'm like, oh, awesome. I remember building that. Right. For me, it's actually a lot, of, a lot around the same type of vein as yours, Dustin, but also that you become attached to the world. So I'm currently working on an idea for a campaign right now that's a few months down the road still, but I, I'm i actually toying with the idea of building the world with the players so that way they feel connected to the 
Mm-hmm. campaign. So that way it's not just that they're seeing 10% of everything I've created. They're actually seeing 80 to 90% because they're that involved in it. Same type of thing here. If your players are actually making changes to the world as they plan it, mm-hmm. and you bring that up later. It, it's a very good point. I, I, I'm sitting across from Dustin here and the viewers can't see this or the listeners rather can't see this, but the smile on his face <laughs> as he was talking about this, that's what makes makes it exciting for me. I absolutely agree with you. And I think I think you're both right in, in terms of uh, like callbacks to previous characters are super important. And I know another thing that we've always done, uh, especially in the Faerunian worlds that we've played in, is because Faerun has so many uh, spells that were built in the original system that are mm-hmm. named after important wizards. Our Faerun also has spells that are named after our players that have who have been in it. We had Lydus's Lifter. Exactly. Um, we had uh, Mithril's Mystical Accountant, which <laughs> just counts how many gold coins are in a pile of gold. Which because is a spell we need everyone that. needs. Yes. Everyone needs, needs that. that spell. And Lydus's Lifter is sort of like a prestidigation, but it's more than that. It's like it lifts all of the dirt and grime off of you and makes your clothes look fresh as in, though they had just been laundered. In a standard action. In a standard action, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, we incorporate these sort of elements into our stories that now future players playing in the world can take these spells because mm-hmm. we've already developed them and built them and they add a unique flavor of our characters are one of the historical wizards that exist in this cosmology. And obviously that's what the original game designers did as well, which is why so many spells in the original Dungeons and Dragons right. are, you know, the Mordenkainen's this or that, yes. you know, same kind of yes. thing. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that th- that that concept is what makes canon so important to a player or to a table. As you experience things that you have done before, it adds that, you know, nostalgia and it reminds you of all the good times that you've had together as friends. Exactly. Okay. Well, I think we've said all that there is to be said on that for now. Let's uh, jump into tricks of the trade. Okay, so in today's Tricks of the Trade, we're going to focus on something that the three of us have not been particularly great at doing. So these are kind of ideas for ourselves, but we would like you to steal from them as well. And that is ways to organize your canon timelines so that you don't get as lost as we have sometimes gotten lost in your own games. And I would start and say, obviously, one of the best ways to do it is to take meticulous notes, but then to Organize those notes so that you have them at hand. You don't have to go scrambling for them. Find a place to keep all your notes about everything that happened in world A or world B or world C so that if somebody else does also decide to go ahead and run in that world, they can take that stack of notes and always have an idea of what changes have been made. I think about uh, how when Kimothy and I were running, we were running the last Harbingers campaign together. We went through the whole canon timeline and changed it to explain the the events that were going to take place in our story. The same kind of world building elements that you can use to design a campaign in the beginning. If you take that same skill set at the end of a campaign mm-hmm. and actually write out all the things that did happen, all the changes that did take place in the same and whatever way you currently use to build your existing campaign, I think would give the tools as long as they're in a method that that, to Rob's point that you can communicate if there's another GM in your group who's going to be running in that same session, uh, particularly if they weren't part of that original campaign, Mm -hmm. being able to do that. And at the very least, sitting down with that GM and saying, hey, this is a world that is treasured to us that we have some, you know, 
group canon, some homebrew canon. And I want to share that stuff with you and, and in the hopes that you would incorporate it into your campaign and to just be able to communicate that forward. Mm-hmm. I think with that, uh, yes, take notes, obviously, and make sure that it, if you want something to become canon, make sure you communicate it. But also as players understand that a new GM is going to bring their own ideas to mm-hmm. the table at the same time, suspend some disbelief give some grace because we all just want to play a game together. Um, But to answer the question of how to best uh, take care of your timeline, one of my favorite ideas, and I haven't been able to do this yet, but it's one of the things that percolates in the back of my mind. You write out your entire dogma, you write out your deities, you write out your lore, you write out your your world, but there's always something in the background that you say, this big battle happened. And that's where you leave it. Mm. Run your campaign, but then maybe the next GM goes back and they play that big mm. world or that so or that. leaving moments that can become callbacks for other people yeah. to play. Yeah. And then it becomes a cooperative storytelling. I wrote the bones and mm-hmm. I said this happened, but how it actually happened or who the heroes are of that time frame is completely unwritten. There might be a name or two, but how did they do it? Gives you the opportunity to have a prequel, basically. Yeah, exactly. And I think that is an interesting idea because for the most part, when we've played in in worlds that we've established our own canon, we do typically play in a linear fashion. This campaign happened after that campaign and the next one will happen after this campaign and so forth. But I, I like that idea of having places where you don't have to have explored it, but you could still have put it in there so that it is the opportunity to still go and play backwards. You, you you know that a certain thing is happening. You know that something happens, but how did it get there? That just reminds me of a shortcut because unfortunately, not everyone in their busy lives has the time to, to get together with the last GM, especially let's say, for example, a GM moved away and a different person stepped up to the table who wasn't involved in the first game, didn't have the opportunity to chat with that GM, but they don't want to just run roughshod over all the changes, the canon changes that the players did. They can always run in that same world at an earlier point in time to establish new canon without having to worry too much about the, the canon that's been established that they don't know. It's not something that's ideal, but it's better than, again, just covering up and ignoring the canon that the group has developed otherwise. So I am curious, uh, before we before we sign off here, is there anything about our worlds and our canon that we have established that you ever look back at and you're like, yeah, I really wish we hadn't done that particular thing? Or has it all been something that's sort of like, you know what? No, that's our history. I'm glad we have and even if it is a little bit off the wall. I absolutely love everything that's happened. Would stand by it. The good, the bad, the ugly, and the indifferent. <laughs> of course you would. <laughs> because it's real history. It really happened. Right. It's like right. it's real real life, right? You look back on the happy memories and you're like, yeah, that was awesome. You look back on the really, really terrible memories and you're like, I survived that. Right. That's true. That's true. Or I learned from it. Or- <laughs> sure. Sure. Yes. So, I mean, you can always laugh. And, you know, I think you should look back on the past and laugh at it. So, no, I wouldn't change a thing. I wouldn't nice. necessarily change a thing. I just want to be able to rewrite some of it at the same time too with my own ideas. No, I, I think the one the, the the one that I keep going back to is Mistra from Faerun. Like yeah. she is critical to like everything and we always see her come up. I would be so sad if she ever were to like be gone from our pantheon. I agree. I think um when when Spellplague came about and we were all pr- playing pretty heavily in Faerun at that time. Fourth edition came out and we all read like their new timeline of everything that happened. There was more than 
one instance of pages being torn out of books. You were furious. Oh, oh yeah, we were. You threw the book. I you was, were so mad. I, I literally ripped their timeline out and threw it away. So my yeah. copy of you, their You made it abundantly to, clear that this did not happen. It did not happen. <laughs> and that's okay. I mean, when you have a group you're established with and you're continuing to run with them, it's okay to create your own canon. It's ideal to create your own canon. I agree. Yes. Uh, it brings something unique to every session that you run in a world that you know. And I think anybody that comes to your table is going to appreciate that a lot more because otherwise they're just, you know, it's like logging onto a, a video game and wherever they go, it's always the same. But no, you're creating a real world when you put your real stories into it. And I think that's the big difference. The light in eyes when they realize that what they did made a difference. Mm -hmm. I love that. Absolutely. Well, thank you both so much for being here today. I appreciate having you on. Before we go, I just want to remind you to please subscribe to this podcast. Give it a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Check out my book, Session Zero, the DMG to writing great campaigns in any system. It is available on Amazon and you can find a link to it in the show notes. Also, feel free to send me an email if you have suggestions, comments or ideas for future shows. The address is all one word, Dungeons, Dragons, Psychology at gmail.com. And we will all see you next session.